Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I'm glad you've come out to worship with us. I'd like to welcome those who are at home worshiping with us. Um, So how's your struggle been this week with the enemy? I hope it's been something that you can turn to the Lord for, for your strength. That's why we're here this morning. We get our encouragement. We get our spiritual food. We get the help we need from others, and we get to encourage others. So stand with me if you would, and let's sing to our God this morning.
my mother's word, you have chosen me. been born again to your family your blood flows through my veins and I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no Him. Our 
slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Open up the gates, make way before the King of Peace. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Roaring with power and fighting our battles, every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. And who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord
Okay, praise team. I know this is not planned, but can we do that song again at the end of the service? Y'all be good for that? Okay. It's on the agenda now, officially. Okay. This morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation, and we come to the end of chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, join me there in Revelation chapter 11, beginning in actually verse 14. Could you use some encouragement today? You know, encouragement is a, is a fascinating word. The root word of encouragement is, is courage. And when you add that prefix to it, it means to be filled with courage. And, and courage is a word sometimes that we misunderstand. Courage doesn't mean that you're not afraid. Courage is an attitude or a perspective that, that enables you to act rightly in the face of difficulty or adversity or, or fear. You see, when we look at our world today and all the evil that is going on, it is discouraging. It takes our courage away. It makes us feel as though everything is hopeless. It makes us feel like giving in or, or giving up. And that's why we need encouragement. See, encouragement doesn't change our circumstances, but it does change our attitude and our perspective about the the circumstances that are around us so that we can persevere, so that we can endure. You know, the sounding of the seventh trumpet marks a significant milestone in the book of Revelation that offers us great encouragement. It sets in motion the events leading up to the return of the Lord Jesus and the establishment of His earthly kingdom upon in this world. In fact, if I may remind you, in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 7, it says, In the days of the voice of the seventh trumpet, when it is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Now, the mystery is the full revelation of the, and the consummation of the plan of God for the ages. In other words, Everything that God has promised, everything that God has purposed is going to be fulfilled and completed at the sounding here of the seventh trumpet. It's the, the mystery is completed. The seven bowl judgments, which represent the, the uh, final outpouring of God's wrath, are included in the seventh judgment. And, and chapter 15, and verse 1 tells us that when those seven bold judgments are poured out, it says, the wrath of God is finished. In other words, everything that God is going to do will then be done. And God's promises will be accomplished. Now, this, this great truth 
stands in stark contrast to the discouragement of the circumstances of a Satan-dominated, sin-cursed world in which we live. It doesn't change, again, the immediate circumstances, but it changes our perspective and it enables us to persevere knowing what is to come. In fact, this passage that we're going to look at today presents these things as if they have already occurred. That's how certain they are. The last three of the seven trumpets, you may remember, are so horrific that they're, they're called woes. Uh, John, uh, her, in chapter 8, in verse 3, he heard an eagle flying in midheaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels about to sound. These are woes. They're horrible events. And after the sounding of the fifth trumpet, we hear someone say, the the first woe is past and the second is to come. And then after the sounding of the sixth trumpet, we hear here in chapter 11 and verse 14, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And so here we are at the seventh trumpet. And this is encouraging because the seventh trumpet sets in motion the final consummation of the redemptive plan for the present universe. You see, when that sounds, then we are going to see the the final judgments of the day of the Lord. That's in chapter 16. We're going to see that Christ defeats all the kings of the earth. That's in chapter 17. We're going to see that he destroys both the economic and the religious systems of the world. That's in chapter 18. And then we're going to see the final defeat of of all God's enemies at the Battle of Armageddon. That's in chapter 19. This this is the beginning of all these incredible things. And so the sounding of the seven trumpets is is really, it signals the answer to the prayer that God's people have been praying since Jesus taught us how to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That day is approaching when God's will will be done on earth. Won't that be an encouraging day? Yes. So the seventh trumpet not only announces consummate judgment on the unbelieving, it also announces the coronation of Jesus Christ as king. That trumpet says Jesus is king. So at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, voices in heaven encourage us by summarizing the, the, the redemptive purposes of God in the tribulation. And they give us a brief rehearsal of, of what subsequently will be given in great detail. Although the seventh trumpet is is sounded here in in chapter 11 and verse 15, the judgments associated with it are not going to be fulfilled until we get to chapter 15. So now think about this. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are a digression. And what they do is they take us back through 
the tribulation, and they show us the tribulation from a different point of view. Instead of showing us the tribulation from the perspective of God accomplishing his purposes through the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, we're going to see the tribulation from the perspective of the Antichrist and what he is attempting to accomplish during that time. It's the same time period, except we're going to go back and we're going to look at it from a different perspective. We'll see that next time. But here we have the another perspective. Let me put up our graphic real quick here and just remind you of where we are. You see, in the in those uh, first uh, uh, chapter four, actually through chapter uh, eleven, we see. God's purposes being accomplished through the all of those seals and, and ultimately the trumpets that are blown. But but then we're going to see, as we saw last week, begin to see that see the Antichrist has been at work during this same time period. And we're going to see what happens there with him. It's a revisiting of the tribulation from a different perspective. But before we go back through the tribulation, We hear voices from heaven that encourage us us by by giving us, summarizing four purposes of God in the tribulation. And they, they encourage us, see, to live in the certainty of that accomplishment. It's going to happen. It's, it's so certain that it's spoken of as if it has already happened here in this chapter. And so first of all, the, the seventh trumpet proclaims the certainty of God's reign. Now, is that encouraging? Is that encouraging to you to know that God is absolutely for certain going to reign in spite of what we see in the circumstances around us? That should be encouraging. Now, in, in verse 15, it says this. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. See, there was an immediate response from heaven when this this seventh trumpet is blown. And and loud voices cry out from heaven with exhilaration at this announcement. And they say this, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, if that doesn't get believers excited, I don't know what will. You see, this dramatic proclamation is the result of all that God has been doing through the seals and the trumpets that we've been looking at this entire time. This is, this is the result of that. And there's this, there's this unrestrained joy from heaven that it's about to occur. 
It, there's just this excitement and, and this thrill of knowing that God is about to accomplish finally all these things that he has been working. That Jesus Christ is going to reign supreme, King of kings and Lord of lords. And with the defeat of the usurper, well, there's going to be no question about the sovereignty of God over the earth. And, and what Jesus refused to take under Satan's terms when he was tempted, Jesus now takes on his own terms. You remember Satan says, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says, I don't need to fall down to worship you. I own the kingdoms of the world, and I'm going to reclaim them. You see, so heaven rejoices that this long rebellion of the world against the Father and against his Christ is about to end. The setting up of this kingdom this is the climax of redemptive history. Now, I want you to notice that they do not say that these voices from heaven do not say that the kingdoms of the world, plural, but the kingdom of the world, singular, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. You see, all the world's diverse national and political and social and cultural and linguistic and religious groups are in reality one kingdom. There's just one kingdom and there's just one king. You know who the king of this world is? It's Satan. And when you look at the Bible, it tells us he's got a lot of names and a lot of titles. It tells us that he is the accuser, the adversary, the dragon, the, the evil one, the god of this world, the prince of the power, power of the air, the ruler of this world, the serpent of old, and most commonly, the devil and Satan. See, after the fall, God scattered this, this kingdom into pieces at the at the at Babylon at Babylon God broke up the kingdom you know why why did he do that to limit satan's ability in this world his ability to dominate this world <clears throat> so satan has been at work since that time trying to collect that kingdom back and bring it under control. That's why every world power, every power that arises, Satan picks one out and tries to take the control of the world. Because he wants to bring it all under one umbrella where he can dominate and he can rule. That's his goal. And so even though God ordains human governments for the well-being of people. Those governments refuse to submit to his sovereignty. They, they, in essence, are a part of the kingdom of Satan. And three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that Satan is the ruler of this world. Though he is not the rightful king... He presently serves as the one who dominates over this world. And as he did it at Babel, Satan's will rule at one day in the future over a united world. 
a united kingdom. And he's going to bring all of those forces against Christ. And it's going to, we're going to see who's the real king. We're going to see who's really going to rule. See, Satan will not relinquish his kingdom without a struggle. But his efforts are not going to keep the true king from returning and establishing his kingdom. Jesus Christ will sit on his throne, the throne of David. And he will take over the world from Satan and those who serve him. See, this is the theme of the book of Revelation. That's the theme of the book of Revelation, that Jesus Christ is king and that he will rule ultimately over all things. He's going to become its holy ruler. Now, this is fascinating to me because the tense of the verb uh, translated has become is what Greek grammarians refer to as a proleptic aorist. It's a, it's a, it's a, it describes a future event that is so certain that it can be spoken of as if it has already taken place. Now, when you read this in English, you might think, wait a minute, Jesus already established his kingdom here? We've got all this other stuff that's going to happen in the book of Revelation. You're like, what? Well, wait a minute. But you see, in, in the Greek text, in this tense, it, it's, a, it's spoken of as if it's current, but in reality, it is future. But it's, but it's so certain that it's pictured for us as if it's already happened. It, it, it sees it through the eyes of faith. You see, that's what God calls us to do as believers in it. We're living in a world where we live by faith. What we see is contrary to what we experience or what we know to be true in the Bible. But by faith, we embrace this truth, and that truth gives us great encouragement as we walk in this life. And so, heaven rejoices at this long anticipated day when Christ will establish his kingdom and it looks at it as though it's already happened. The, the phrase, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, emphasizes the equality of the Father and of the Son, of, of, of his Christ. There's no distinction really made here between the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. Because you see, his kingdom, once it's established, it will start out as the millennial kingdom, but it's going to transition into the eternal kingdom, and there will be no distinction. There will, there will be no end to his rule. Christ will reign forever and ever. One, once his reign begins, it may change form, but it will never be interrupted. It will never cease. And the glorious truth that the Lord Jesus Christ will one day rule permeates Scripture. I had to resist the temptation not to go through and just read passage after passage that describes this. I just chose a couple just to give you a picture. Think about Psalm 2. It's a messianic psalm, and it, it pictures Christ coming and ruling. And one of the other things that you'll notice about all these passages is that the, the Father and the Son and their roles are just kind of intermingled. It's, it's sometimes difficult to separate them because they're one. 
And here in Psalm chapter 2 and verse 6, he says this, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Well, who does that sound like? Well, that sounds like the Father, doesn't it? But then he says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Well, who who does that sound like? That sounds like the son, the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? He says, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. He's going to rule over this world. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, beautiful little summary here. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days. Well, who would that be? That's the father. And he presented bef- and he was presented before him, that is the, the son. And, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations of, of men in every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Does it sound like Christ will reign forever and ever? Absolutely, it does. And then John kind of focuses in on the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God. And he tells us that they respond to this announcement by falling on their faces and worshiping God. When they hear that, they just fall down on their faces and just begin to give God praise and thanksgiving. They cry out with, with gratitude. We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Their, their, their praise focuses on three attributes of God that ensures that he will indeed reign. First of all, God's reign is certain because he's omnipotent. They call him the Almighty, as we were singing about to this this morning. It means that God's power is absolute, that it is irresistible, that he has all might. That's what omnipotent means, that God has all might, all power. And God has always been omnipotent. It's just that when now when God asserts his power to begin to reign, it just becomes uh, magnified and it becomes amplified and we, we see in a new way the great power of God. God's reign is certain because he is eternal. The phrase, who are and who were, expresses God's eternity. See, God has no beginning and he will have no end. He was from eternity past. He has always existed and he, he exists now and he will exist in all eternity future. This way of expressing God's eternal nature has been used three times previously in the book of Revelation. Only in those earlier occurrences, the phrase, who is to come, was added. And you don't have to add who is to come in this case because God's kingdom is seen as already having come. We don't have to anticipate that happening It is already present. And so his kingdom is certain. 
And God's reign is, is certain because he is sovereign. He is praised because it says he has taken his great power and begun to reign. In other words, God is now exercising his right to rule. And do you realize that God can do that at any moment with any one, with any place? People live their lives oftentimes thinking that they're in control that I'm living the way I want to live. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm really in control. But friends, in every life, there comes a time when God takes his power into hand and exercises his right to be Lord. Whether you yield or not, he reigns. And you will respond to that reigning. God's rule is supreme, absolute, and permanent. And the seventh trumpet proclaims the certainty of God's reign because he is, he is omnipotent, he is eternal, and he is sovereign. But then the, the seventh trumpet predicts the resentment or the, the rebellion of the nations. I put rebellion in there, but... I struggled with whether that might be resentment. But look at what he says in the first part of verse 18. He says, and the nations were enraged. That's a description of the response of the unrepentant nations to the exercise of God's sovereign power through the judgments of the tribulation. God is is taking control. God is beginning to reign. And their response is defiance. They're enraged that God would dare exercise his power and come against their lives and their will and their desires and their sin. People are, they get upset when God acts. And the verb translated were enraged, it suggests a deep-seated, ongoing hostility. See, this is not just a momentary hostile reaction. This is something that has been underlying, seething a part of their lives the whole time. And now with the God exercising his power, then it becomes expressed out in their lives. But tragically, even with the, you know, you would think that the the, the judgments that they will experience during the tribulation would cause them to turn from their sin and submit to God. But tragically, even with the warnings of eternal hell, most of them refuse to repent and they harden their hearts. And like Pharaoh, they will continue to harden their own hearts until God judicially hardens their hearts and brings judgment upon them. The world will reach this final outpouring of God's wrath during the final seventh trumpet and those bold judgments that will come. Their rage and hostility toward God will reach a fever pitch, and and they will what they will do is that they will gather together and they will come to fight against God, what we call the battle of Armageddon. This is the the rebellion of all the nations of the world 
coming and saying, we don't want you to be our king. We want to rule the world ourselves. And he tells us in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 14, he says, spirits of demons performing signs will go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. And they gathered them together into the place which in Hebrew is called Har Megiddo. And that's the word when we get our word Armageddon. With their hearts judicially hardened, they will be be beyond the day of grace. And there will be no salvation at Armageddon. Everywhere up to this point, we have seen God saving people. But here, there'll be no more salvation. And the world's desperate last-ditch effort to keep Christ from establishing his kingdom, of course, fail, and they will all be utterly destroyed. It tells us in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. You see, they have wasted their last opportunity to repent, and now they are going to be plunged into the depths of eternal hell along with the beast and the false prophet. Does that soak into your being when you hear that? God will judge these nations who rebel against him. And I think, it's a, I think it's already so apparent in our day that so many people have a deep-seated resentment toward God. They hate God. They hate righteousness. They hate the church. They hate the morality for which it stands. We are the salt that gets in their wound, that irritates them. We live in that world. And, and the, the encouragement is not that that's, that happens. The encouragement is simply understanding God has already told us this will happen. It will happen, but we see by faith, the reality of the end. That will not prevail, but Christ will prevail. That's the encouragement. That's The encouragement is a different perspective in spite of what we see happening right now. Number three, the, the seventh trumpet anticipates the judgment of all people. Verse 18, he says, And your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, 
and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, I want you to, again, I want you to take careful note of those words, your wrath came. Do you, do you hear how it's phrased? It came. It's, it's as though it has already happened. The coming of God's wrath, like the coming of Christ's kingdom, is so certain that it can be spoken of as if it's already happened. Uh, this word translated came is one of those, another one of those uh, proleptic errors in which it, it anticipates something that has not happened yet as being already fulfilled. And if you, in other words, if you, if you think that a loving God will not pour out his wrath on you, you are holding to a very dangerous false doctrine. God's wrath will come. In fact, he says, your wrath came. That's how certain it is. Friends, it is not the popular thing in our world today. But believe me, the Bible claims with absolute certainty that God will bring his wrath on the unbelieving and rebellious of this world. It will happen. And not only will the seventh trumpet signal the outpouring of God's wrath on the earth, it will also indicate that the time has come for the dead to be judged. See, when you die physically, that's not the end. You don't avoid judgment simply by dying physically. In fact, the word time there, it's kairos. Uh, It refers to a season or an occasion or even an event. And the establishing of Christ's kingdom is the time for the judgment of the dead. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It is, is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. Now, in God's economy, judgment is just as certain as death. And and every one of us is going to die, and every one of us is going to face judgment from God. That's true for the believing and for the unbelieving. And that is a universal statement about judgment. We know from Scripture that that judgment will be separated that the believing and the unbelieving will have a separate judgment. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 in verse 31, he says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now the sheep there represent believers and the goats are represented there as unbelievers. And then in verse 34, he says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, if he doesn't have the kingdom, how can he give it? He has the kingdom. And he gives it to us. You and I inherit this righteous kingdom that Jesus Christ is establishing. Now that ought to be some encouragement for you. 
And in verse 41, he says, then, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now listen, friends, listen carefully. You do not want to be on the left. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I'm not talking about the left side of the building. You do not want to be on the left. Because you will be thrown into eternal fire. The time for the dead to be judged is not a reference to the great white throne judgment which you see in Revelation chapter 20 because that judgment applies only to unbelievers. This is a general reference to all future judgments. The elders in their song don't make any distinction between the unbelieving and the believing. They're just simply saying that God is going to judge every person. He's going to judge the believers in the way that he is determined, and he is going to judge the unbelieving in the way that he is determined. And and they simply seem of this this reality, the certainty of judgment. The, the judgment will, first of all, he does tell us this, will be a time for God to reward. He says to reward his bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear his name, the small and the great. See, th- Though the power to serve God in a way worthy of rewards, it's, it's a gift of grace. God gives you that ability. But even though he gives you that as a, a gift of grace, the Bible is constantly telling us to use our gifts and our abilities to honor God and to serve him. And God says, if you do that, I have a reward for you. If you will use what I've given you in this way, you will get a Reward. Uh, Revelation twenty two twelve. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. The Apostle Paul adds to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. See, the, the, the reward is there for you. And the ultimate reward that God will give to believers is the kingdom, the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. And believers are also promised crowns, including uh, a crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of glory. That, that, that phrase, your bondservants, the prophets, encompasses all people who are proclaimers of the word of God. All people who have been faithful to proclaim the word of God, even sometimes in very difficult situations, God says, I have a reward for you. Be faithful in proclaiming the word of God, especially those, those prophets. And in Scripture, we see that the, the God frequently refers to his prophets as his servants. In, in, in the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 41, the time has come for them to receive a prophet's reward. Did you know that God has a reward for prophets? That's somebody who, with their mouth, speaks the truth 
of God. That doesn't mean just people who stand behind a pulpit. But if you are speaking the truth of God to the world, God's got a reward for you. Another group to be rewarded are the saints. Saints is a word simply means to be set apart, those who have been, who, who believed, who've been set apart. And, and he says, those who uh, fear your name. This is a common biblical description, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, of believers. And, and he says, small and great, well, that's everybody. Anybody who's a believer, you're included. But the judgment will also, it says, destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, that's not talking about polluting the environment. He's talking about people who pollute the earth with their sin, who, who dirty the world in which they live. Friends, that includes all unbelievers everywhere in all times. You know, in, in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, Paul tells us that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Lawlessness is already at work in our day. And you don't have to look very far to see lawlessness at work in our day today, in our world today. Lawlessness is everywhere. And let me ask, let me ask you the question, who is the author of lawlessness? It's it's the man of lawlessness, and who's behind the man of lawlessness is Satan, because law is the rule of the kingdom of God. And what does Satan want to do? He wants to tear down the, the rule of God in the world. And so he is constantly attacking, and lawlessness is a part of the world in which we live, and God is going to judge all that lawlessness. It's going to come to its kind of its apex at the time of the, the seventh trumpet, and God's going to pour out the bold judgments, and that's going to be the end. It's going to be finished. So the seventh trumpet also finally promises the acceptance of all believers. Look at verse 19, our last verse here. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Bound up in the, in, the, in the seventh trumpet is the promise of believers to have a, an unbroken eternal fellowship with God. Now, is that encouraging? Is that encouraging? Now, hey, this is the purpose of having a live audience. You all can say yes. You don't, have to, you don't you like feel like you're talking to the TV. You're talking to a real person here. Is that encouraging? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it really is. We're going to be with God forever. And that's our goal. And so, you see, th- this fellowship here is symbolized by the, the imagery in verse 19. God is opening up the temple. He opens the doors. And it's like, come on in. And you see, when he opens the doors there, there's the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark, remember what it had in it? Remember what was in that Ark? 
It, it had some very important items. It had a jar of manna. You know what that represents? That means that God provides for his people, even in difficult circumstances, even when you're out in the wilderness, in a desert, God can feed you. No matter what's going on in your life, God can take care of you, right? And there was Aaron's bud that rotted. That's, that's the rod that budded. Okay. All right. I've done worse, believe me. <laughs> And, and and this is the this is God's rule through his through his people through his priests through his uh, church. God is 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 got a rule. And then they had what else? They had uh, the tablets of the law. The, the, that's the rule of the kingdom. The law will never pass away. Not one jot, one tenth. So what do we got? The ark is there, and it represents all the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. God opens the temple, says, come on in. I'm, going to fulf- I'm fulfilling all the promises. And you are guaranteed acceptance if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. It's just a beautiful thing. See, it, it, it talks about the communion that we have with him. It, 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 it's a beautiful picture. But there's one other part of this that is there as well. He says, there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. You see, now those things are always associated with judgment. Heaven is the source of vengeance on unbelievers. And, and the message of the seventh trumpet, it encourages us because it proclaims the certainty of God's reign. It predicts in advance the rebellion of the nations. It assures us that Jesus Christ is going to rule as sovereign Lord and King over all the earth. And one day he's going to come and he's going to take away the usurper and all who follow him and God's going to judge them. And what's going to be left is righteousness and a place where we will gather in communion with God and we will know the joy and the beauty and the wonder of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what's going to happen. In other words, before we go back, we've gone through all these seals and trumpets. Now before we go back, And look at what is going to be happening with Antichrist. God says, I just want to remind you. I want to encourage you. This is the result. It's pretty heavy studying the book of Revelation, isn't it? And so God just kind of, again, he just gives us a break and says, Now remember, this is where we are. This This is the way it's going to be. So I want to give you some encouragement. I hope you have some encouragement today. I hope today gives you a a different perspective on the things that you're seeing. I hope that you know with an absolute certainty that God will reign, that God will fulfill all of his promises, and that we have the hope of dwelling with him forever and ever. In the the words of... uh, Second uh, uh, Peter chapter three and verse eleven. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? If this is true, what kind of people ought we all to be? Let me ask you: Are you ready 
for Christ to reign? Are you ready for him to reign? I'd say that most of us here are ready for him to reign. You're excited to hear, you enjoy hearing about this. But maybe you're watching today and, and you're not ready for Christ to reign. Let me just encourage you. You can be ready. You can put your trust in Jesus Christ. He can change your heart and your life. If you believe his truth, if you believe that that he was crucified on the cross for your sin, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, and if you're willing to turn from your sin and put your faith in him, then you can have eternal life and you can live and you can reign with the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity because he will reign forever and ever. And if you haven't done that, simply call upon him. Call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll do that, he will save you. I'm going to pray. As I'm praying, I'm going to ask our praise team to come, and we're going to sing that song we sang at the first. We're going to sing maybe with a little more excitement, a little more enthusiasm this time. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement that you have given us today through your word. Lord, we, we're grateful for the book of Revelation. It tells us so many things that we could never have ever have known apart from this, this specific revelation. Thank you for this book. And thank you for all the people who have come and have been uh, hearing and, and receiving this truth. I pray, Lord, today for encouragement. Pray that you would strengthen and renew the faith of your people, that you give us a new determination to be faithful to you and to proclaim your truth. And so, God, we, we, we give this time to you now, and we just want to spend some time honoring you and worshiping you. And, Lord, as we sing this, and as people may listen, I pray that you would move their hearts to want, to have a desire to be your child and to be able to sing this song from their hearts. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Before the lion and the lamb. 
God. 